times in my life. Um, whatever kind of week, whatever is heavy on your heart, uh, this prayer is timeless and powerful, spoken by a 30-year-old Nazarene carpenter 2,000 years ago, the savior of the world. And uh, there's, there's words that are no more timeless than this. So let, let them sink in as we say this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to you forever. Amen. Let's continue in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for being the Alpha and Omega, the holy God that Isaiah caught a glimpse of, the one who Thomas touched, and the one who came in power at Pentecost. And you are here, your word reminds us, you are here with us this morning. We acknowledge that you are the God of the nations. You are also the God over our lives. We pray for the nations both far and near, for our country, that those in power would seek you, that believers in Canada and the US and around the world would be given wisdom from above and understanding in positions of power. We pray that you would give us perspective too as we seek to be salt and light. We pray even this morning, Lord, that your kingdom would come in the heartbreak in Afghanistan. We pray for those among us who are dealing with illness. May you as the great physician bring healing, strength, and comfort. In particular this morning, we pray for Anna's brother and for Arlene, that they would just be, just, just heal well and quickly. Give them the strength that they need. For all with physical, emotional, and spiritual pain right now, bless them, encourage them, and bring healing in their lives. We pray, Lord, that you would make us people of humility, grace, and forgiveness. We pray, too, for the leaders here at Southside to be given wisdom and clarity as we plan for our move. May every one of us have a deeper understanding of the gifts that you have given us, whether prophet or apostle or evangelist or shepherd or teacher. We thank you for this opportunity to give this morning, Lord, as an act of worship. And we can continue to pray to make us a people of generosity. We praise you for how 2017 ended financially for Southside. We thank you for such positive results at the end of the year. We pray, Lord, that as we give this morning, you would just multiply those gifts as only you can. We pray for Pastor Ian, for Aaron. We pray for the teachers this morning. And we pray for the, the terrific children, Lord, that you would just uh, bless them as they learn more of you this morning. We bring all of these things to you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll call the uh, ushers forward for the offering. And kids, you can... Head to the back and head out. Thank you.
I just want to talk a little bit again this morning about our 10,000 Reasons wall that you see over here. Now, some of you have already participated last week. It was our first week, and I think we did pretty well for our first week. I think that's pretty amazing. So as the weeks go by leading up to our transition to Main Street, we're going to continue to add and add. So if you think you're done with your few little memories you put up there, you're not. Keep, keep asking the Lord to bring them to memory. And I found um, last week I grabbed a stack, and as I got writing, I found it was easier and easier for memories to come up of, of God's great faithfulness to this church over the last three decades, give or take. So um, we called it the 10,000 Reasons Wall, and that is a lyric from a song uh, by Matt Redman called 10,000 Reasons. And it's kind of become a bit of an anthem for us. And um, the song was inspired by Psalm 103, which is simply, Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And if you know that song, you know the chorus. That's what we're singing. Bless the Lord, worship his holy name. And um, as I was thinking about that, I, I actually had an aha moment with that verse um, years ago. Um, I read it from the message. And you know that from the message, it says this. Bless the Lord, I tell myself. It kind of made, kind of made me stop and think. What does that mean? Because I think any other time I had thought about that verse, you know, uh, it kind of fills you with warm fuzzies, right? Bless the Lord. I kind of picture myself, you know, twirling in gardens of wildflowers. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And sometimes I think we feel as though we need to be in that warm, fuzzy, happy place to uh, give our love. We ha we're waiting till we're overflowing to bless the Lord with our whole soul. But I think reading it from the message gave me a different perspective that sometimes it's a command, bless the Lord. Even in those times when it's not easy to do so, we are commanded to bless the Lord with all of our soul and worship his holy name. So with that in mind, as you think back through the years, as I was saying a little bit last year, doesn't mean that you have to fish for those warm, fuzzy feelings to share. There are times that God has um, caused us to learn and grow as a church family in the hard times too. So um, challenge yourself to bless the Lord with these memories. And I thought it was really cool as we kind of congregated over here after the service last week, I, I got to speak with a few people and, and already heard some stories uh, that I didn't know. And I think it's so cool to hear how people came to salvation, how people came to the waters of baptism, how people were healed. And I know there's so many stories like that floating throughout this congregation, and we need to share them with one another. So um, as we sing these next uh, couple of songs, I want you to know that you're free to stand. It's going to be sort of a, a, a casual atmosphere if you want. Um, there are uh, note cards and pens and pins over on the little table by the wall there. Um, maybe you have something in your mind, you want to get it down and pin it right away. Or maybe you want to take a stack and bring them back to your uh, chair and, and write them down or take them with you even this week week and bring them back next week. But um, this is just another way that we can bless the Lord. Um, so let's do that together this morning. Um, and, and it really doesn't have to be even these epic stories. It can be just one sentence or one word even of how God has been faithful to you personally, how somebody from this church blessed you, how an act of kindness changed your mind about something. Maybe it could be a date that you want to remember or show people, um, uh, baby dedications or baptisms or a special event that happened here. Anything that comes to mind, write those down and let's share them together, shall we? So let's bless the Lord with our mouths and with our actions now as we uh, worship his holy name. I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, if you feel more comfortable sitting, that's fine too. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing, faithful you are. Faithful you are. Faithful 
promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. Beautiful Savior, you have brought me You have broken every curse Blessed Redeemer You have set this captive free Lord, I can't help but sing Faithful, faithful you are Faithful forever you will be All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises. All your promises are yes and amen. Oh, and all your promises are yes and amen. I will rest in your promises, my confidence is in your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness oh I will in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness promises are yes and amen faithful faithful you are faithful forever you will be faithful you are all your promises are yes and amen all your promises all your promises are yes and amen all your promises are yes and amen last time all your promises all your promises are yes and Oh, how great the kindness. 
oh how great the kindness our God has shown we were strangers and now we're called his own his grace has welcomed the sinner home tender mercies lead us to the throne hallelujah what a savior i owe everything to him hallelujah what a savior hallelujah to my king sing hallelujah he brings oh what peace the spirit of jesus brings through the trials he will carry me and one day in heaven our eyes will meet filled with wonder all the saints will sing hallelujah what a savior i owe everything to him hallelujah what a savior hallelujah to my king hallelujah sing that chorus last time together hallelujah what a savior to the doctor lately? Has anyone not had the flu lately? Has anyone not had the cough lately? And all of that. Um, it's interesting, all of the advancements that there have been in, in medical science, um, and yet when you go to the doctor, the doctor does the same thing she or he did 50 years ago, right? They take their stethoscope, they put it on your chest, and they say, take a deep breath in, now out. In again, hold it, and out. I think they do it just to buy time while they try to figure out what's wrong with you. And <laughs> while the computer program kicks in that they can look it up. But I think it's more than that. It's about something very, very basic 
in the human condition and in human life, which is breathing. So let, let's do a little breathing here, a little breathing exercise. And when I say breathe in, I want you to take a deep breath in. And when I say breathe out, I want you to take a deep breath out. Some of you are going, oh, what has he gotten into now? Next it's going to be yoga classes. Or, all right, all right, so, now just humor me. Here we go. Ready? Breathe in. And breathe out. In. Out. Doesn't that feel better already? Let's do it the other way, okay? Breathe out first and then breathe in. Ready? Breathe out. Breathe in. <laughs> breathe out. All right? It's not quite the same, is it? Breathing, just being able to breathe. Have you ever had a sleep study done? And if they tell you they want you to go for a sleep study, you can immediately tell them you're lying to me. Because a sleep study is a contradiction in terms. They put all kinds of wires on you. There's a big speaker above your head. And they tell you to lie on your back and not to move and to go to sleep. <laughs> Seven o'clock at night and they want you to go to sleep. And then by 7.30 they're talking to you through the, the speaker. And the next day they tell you that you didn't sleep very well. And you say, well, of course I didn't sleep very well. There were wires stuck all over my body. There was an annoying voice that kept on talking to me. And they say, yeah, but what we want to figure out is how well you breathe while you sleep. We're studying the possibility of sleep apnea, that awful monster that comes at night and stops you in the midst of a dream. What we're talking about today is spiritual breathing, is the rhythm of life that Jesus says is really important if you're to be well, if you are to be healthy as a follower of Christ. So it's the, tri the, the semicircle, second of our shapes up there, and it has to do with this value that we hold as a, a congregation, which is in the context of continuous breakthrough where we always expect that the kingdom is arriving, that it's breaking through, we do well to make sure that we are living balanced lives. We do well to make sure that we're living lives that are in the proper rhythm, breathing in and breathing out. Here's where it comes from. John chapter 15, and uh, this is a difficult time in the life of Jesus' disciples. Judas has proven to be a turncoat, a betrayer, and they are unsettled. I mean, they knew that he wasn't scrupulous at times, they knew that he was petty, but my goodness, now they know that he's betraying their master. And so they're walking. They have left the place where they were. Jesus said, come on, let's go. It's time to head out. And in John 15, here's what happens next. They, they walk apparently through a vineyard. Jesus says, I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes it back, so it will bear even more. You are already pruned by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whenever you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Well, that's kind of hard talk, isn't it? That Jesus is saying, unless you figure this out, you will be unproductive, you will be fruitless. And so you need to get it figured out. He's comforting them, I think, a little bit about Judas. Because he says, look, the father is walking through the vineyard. And when he finds a branch that doesn't bear any fruit, he simply cuts it off. Don't worry about Judas. He was a non-producing branch. There was no fruit. He was not truly a follower of mine. So the father has cut him off and he is no longer in play. But as for you, Jesus says, you need to understand that apart from me, 
you can do nothing whatsoever. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's have a look at this um, image that Jesus gives to the disciples as they walk through the, the vineyard. Um, let me talk to you about the people that are involved or the characters that are involved in this vineyard. Um, we first of all have a gardener who is walking through the vineyard. And then we have branches who are part of the growth in the vineyard. And then we have fruit, grapes, that are growing in the vineyard. What does all of that join together to paint for us? The father is the gardener. Let me ask you the question, what is the gardener looking for? As God walks through the vineyard that is Southside Community Church and looks at our lives, he is looking for one thing, according to John 15, according to Jesus, and that is what? He's looking for fruit. That's what a gardener does. The gardener walks through the garden and he looks at the plants and he examines the fruit because the whole point of the garden, the whole point of the vineyard, the whole point of the orchard is that the trees, that the bushes, that the vines um, bear fruit. If there's no fruit, there's no point. And that is the cycle of nature. That is the cycle of the plants that we plant and um, the fruit that we grow, the vegetables that we grow. If there's not fruit, if there's not produce, there's no point. It's not because we love lovely-looking plants at the end of the day. It's because the ground is to yield fruit. And we are a big part of that whole formula, that whole uh, organization of nature that God has designed. So the farmer walks through the vineyard and he looks for fruit. And if there's no fruit, he says that plant is not of any use to us any longer. And so he cuts it off and throws it away. He, he puts it somewhere where they collect it to burn. Now you need to know that all scripture is for us, but not all scripture is about us. And there are people who worry when they read John 15, they worry that they might be that kind of a branch. They worry that God might be cutting them off and that they've lost their relationship with God through Jesus because their lives are not bearing fruit. Jesus here is, is dealing primarily and perhaps only with Judas. He's saying, look, if there's no fruit, the fundamental question that needs to be asked is whether or not this branch really is joined to the vine. Whether or not this branch really is a person who is following me. James uh, says there's a big debate that goes on. Um, the debate is about this. Um, if you tell me about your faith, I'll believe perhaps that you have faith, but I'll want to know about the deeds. And you say, well, show me um, your deeds. I say, show me your deeds, and I'll tell you that you must have faith. But if you declare or claim that you have faith but have no deeds, um, you have a harder case to prove. I can show you my faith by my deeds because if he were talking about John 15, he would say, if a branch is joined to the vine, it can't but bear fruit. If you have no deeds, if you have no Christ character, it remains to be seen whether you can claim to actually be connected to Jesus, whether or not you really are following him. So we need to take the warning, but also understand that Jesus is saying, that guy that we left behind, that guy that went out in the night never was part of us. That's why he left. So the father looks at the plants and he wonders where the fruit is. And having dispensed with some branches because they don't have fruit to demonstrate that they're really connected, he looks at those branches that do bear fruit and he does certain things to encourage the fruit. He prunes them. He says, I want there to be more fruit on this branch. And Jesus says, the more you get to understand the Father's work and the more you get to be connected to me, the better fruit-bearing you will be and my Father will be glorified. My Father will be happy. My Father will walk through the vineyard and say, look at these lovely grapes produced by these branches that are connected to the vine. So what's the Father doing? The Father is looking for fruit and he's dealing with either the absence or the presence or the abundance of fruit. That's what God cares about in my life and in your life. What is the fruit? There are all kinds of speculations about what that fruit is. Um, 
in terms of the image, the fruit is the natural produce, the natural product of a life that is connected to Jesus. So if my life is connected to Jesus and your life is connected to Jesus, the fruit that we bear would be Jesus-like fruit. That's why, as I've been saying, when we get over to 200 Domain, we're gonna just camp on the gospels about Jesus because we need to know what does it look like to bear Jesus' fruit? What was Jesus' character like all the time? Because if we can get an inkling into what that is, we can get an inkling as to what our lives ought to look like. They ought to look like Jesus. What did Jesus talk about? Well, the values that are in his stories are the values we need to be committed to if we're to be bearing Jesus' fruit. What did Jesus do? Because when Jesus left, he said a really astonishing thing. He said, when I leave, the things that I've done, you'll do, and greater things. And your mind can go crazy just wondering about that. What in the world can we do that is greater than what Jesus did? Because he said, when I leave and the Holy Spirit comes, you'll do exactly what I did? Wow. Oh, but wait, you're going to do even greater things than what I did. What greater things? Great stuff to, to wonder about. What are the branches doing in the story? And there's where we need to be a little careful because we might quickly say, well, the branches are producing fruit, right? Who's producing fruit in the vineyard? Trick question. You're saying, I'm not going to take a stab at this. What are, let's say then, what are the branches doing? Let, let me suggest to you this. The branches are not producing fruit. The branches are bearing fruit. Who's producing the fruit? The vine, right? Jesus produces the fruit through the vine. We, we kind of need to get a hold of that. Um, years ago, um, there was a writer called Phil Keller, and he wrote some lovely devotional Christian books. He wrote a book called um, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And one of the books he wrote was this, A Gardener Looks at John 15. A Gardener Looks at the Vine and Branches. And Phil Keller lived in Summerland, um, B.C., where my dad was a pastor. And he and my dad became really close friends. And one um, August, it was that we were out there, um, Phil Keller called my dad and said, do you want to go for a walk? Because they would often go for a walk up through the vineyards. And if, if you've not been in the Okanagan Valley and marveled over those beautiful vineyards, you've, you've missed a beautiful part of Canada. So my dad said, well, Ian's here. I'm gonna, I'll ask him if he wants to come along. And Phil Keller said, that'd be great. I'd love to chat with him too. And I'd read his books. And by now, he's just an old guy and just a really lovely, unassuming person. But as we walked through the vineyard, um, he, he just stopped along one of the rows and he said, let's, let's have a look at this. He said, you know, I, I wrote that book and I've just for a long time loved the story of John 15. So he, he said, when, when we look at the, the branches and the grapes and these lovely vines, he said, there's, there's one thing here that is the absolute most important part of the whole plant. And, and he, he pointed to this right here. The place where the branch joins the vine. He said the whole life of the vineyard is there at that junction. And he said what happens is this. And he said you know that the, the, they cut the, the branches way back. They prune them. They're, they're almost barely a memory of their former selves when you see them in the wintertime. But he said when, when the branches begin to grow... What happens is that the vine draws life from the earth and the vine pours its life or communicates its life into the branch and the branch reaches back for that life. And when the branch reaches the life of the vine and the life of the vine moves through the branch, the branch simply bears fruit. From what? From the life of the vine. The life of the vine guarantees the quality of the luscious fruit that comes in the harvest. So he says, you look at all of those things, you look at the grapes and marvel at the grapes, they're not the most important part of it. You'd look at the old sticks that seem to be dead in the ground in 
the wintertime, and, and that's not the key to it. He said the key to it is that junction between the vine and the branch. And when that junction is healthy, you will be guaranteed a lovely harvest of grapes. Other things come into play, for sure. But he says make sure that you connect your lives with the vine so that you can be fruit-bearing. And I remember my dad looking at me and saying, did you hear that? Right there was probably 10 years worth of incredible sermons to get something so powerful into your life, right? The place where the branch joins the vine guarantees everything. So Jesus said, apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. Do you know how freeing that is? Because a lot of us grew up with religion that expected a lot from us. A lot of us grew up in parents' settings where a lot was expected from us. A lot of us grew up in Irish families where if you didn't get 198, just didn't cut it, right? And Jesus says, well, here's the truth. You can't do anything apart from me. Go, nothing? No, nothing at all. And it's part of the, the kingdom economics, right? Because it's not the way we think at all. We think, you know, if that person were in the kingdom, imagine what he or she could do. And God would say, catch yourself on. Have you not read the Bible? Because in the Bible, the people that are most influential, whose lives are most incredible, are the people who come to me and say, I've got nothing. Because otherwise, God says, I have to spend my time teaching them that they're nothing, and what they brought is of no use to me. So they need to pack it away, put it home. And he said, some people take a whole life to learn that, whereas it is better if you will come to me and say, apart from you, I know I can do nothing. It's a great way to start the week. It's a great way to start the day. It's to say, today I know that in my strength, I can't do anything. All the good that I think I should do, maybe want to do, I cannot do it if, if I have to do it in my strength. I can do stuff, but it is not going to be fruit-bearing the way you want me to be a fruit-bearing person. So living this life, um, breathing in and breathing out, um, is the pendulum swing that Jesus teaches us about in John chapter 15. And in the pendulum swing, um, that we might just imagine as something that swings from all the way over here to all the way over here, um, is the rhythm of life that helps us breathe in and breathe out what we ought to in the whole story of the, the vine and branches. So on the side of what we will call rest, there is rest, and at the other side, we find the word work. And from the very beginning of the Bible, God teaches us that this is the rhythm of the human life. And for the rest of time, we practice the opposite. God says, rest and then work. We say, work and then rest. So we try to survive work by resting, whereas God says, and Jesus teaches us, you work because you have rested. It is no coincidence that the very first day of our existence, according to the creation story, was what day? Monday to Saturday, Sunday to Saturday, which one was it? What was our first day of life on earth? Monday? Tuesday? Saturday, right? What was God doing on Saturday? He was resting. So the first day we existed was a day of rest. So here come Adam and Eve bounding into the garden, and they say, so God, what's up today? What's on the agenda? He says, nothing. And they say, well, wait a minute. we just been created from nothing. I mean, you just created me from his bone. Don't understand it, but that's what you say you did. So here we are. We showed up to, to do whatever we're supposed to do, and God says, today's a rest day. After that, you can go to work. And that is, it's a profound lesson that we have not learned very well because we live in a society that actually values the opposite. Where when you say to somebody, how are you? And they say, oh man, I'm exhausted. They say, I know exactly what you mean. We're all in the same boat. 
We're living cra- crazy lives, frenzied lives, and we're tired out all the time. And we say that as though, well, we're sort of complaining, but we're actually also bragging, aren't we? Because we must be important if we're that busy, and we and must be that important if we're that tired. And God says, what are you doing with yourselves? I did not create you to rest from work. I created you to work from rest. That's the rhythm. The breathing in is rest. The breathing out is work. Nobody here doesn't know that. Nobody here has an easy time getting it right. Isn't that true? So Jesus says, get this, that apart from me, you can't do anything. And what that means is that a part of your life needs to be rest. We were created to be beings that need to sleep. And sometimes we complain about that. We complain, you know, that so much of our lives is spent doing something so unproductive as sleeping. Well, many of us are the other. We say, it's too bad that so much of life is not sleeping because that's a great part, right? But we were made to need to sleep. And the idea isn't that we sleep out of exhaustion. The idea is that we sleep to replenish our bodies and our souls so that out of the strength of rest, we can go to work. And if you're at a point where that's not your experience, you probably need to have just a wake-up moment, no pun intended, to say, well, I have to fix that. Because you can't go too long without wrestling before your body is going to resist and your body is going to react and your body is going to crash. So, very fundamental question this morning is, how is your sleep? How is your rest? When and how do you replenish your body so that out of that replenishment you can work well? Because here's the deal. God created us to work. Work is not a bad thing. Work is not part of the curse. Adam and Eve worked before they fell. So work is good. Work is from God. But the work that God gives us is work that should grow out of being rested. All right. The next one that we would say on this side of things um, is that not only do we need to rest, but Jesus says, and and here's kind of the, the theology of it all. He says, you need to know what it means to abide in me. Because if you abide in me, then the breathing out of that is that you will bear fruit. Now, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? It's it's kind of a a theological idea and a a bit of a mystical idea, but if we just take it back into the way we would use this word, um, the, the Scots would say bide a while, which just means stay a while. And in, in these chapters of John, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, the most prevalent word is the word that gives us the word abide. And it all has to do with the idea of being at home. So Jesus says, be at home with me. That's the breathing in part. Be at home with me. So all of the things that that means in just the way we would use it is... is they are what Jesus meant. Being at home means that it is the most comfortable place for us to be. It's the most familiar place for us to be. It's, it's where we, we know we belong. It's, it's like where it just fits us. So here's what not abiding is. Um, you go to some other country in the world and they drive on the other side of the road. Everything's wrong, right? The car looks like a car. But when you get into where you think the driver's seat is, there's no steering wheel. So that's the first clue that things are different here. And then what you used to do with your left hand, you have to do with your right hand. What you used to look for out of your left window, you need to look now from out of your right window. Roundabouts are the curse because cars come from where you do not expect them to come and they come fast and hard. And you are uptight, you are uncomfortable. Nothing seems to work, right? You get back home, you get in your car, and you go, I love it, 
fits steering wheels where it's supposed to be. Everything out there is what I think should be out there. Everything that's out there is what I think it ought to be. You travel. And you wake up in the middle of the night. You need to make the obligatory trip to the washroom and you head off in the wrong direction because it's not where you're used to it being. It's not home. Right? It's as simple as that. If, if when I look at my life and think about Jesus and my relationship with him is not the most comfortable thing in my life, I'm not abiding. If it is strange to me to read my Bible, if it's strange to me to pray, if it's strange to me to talk about Jesus, it's because I'm not abiding there. It's not home. Home is home base. Home is my go-to place. Home is my recluse. Home is my retreat. Home is where I go to be. And Jesus says, meet me there, and you'll be able to live a life that has the right rhythm in it. So if I'm not resting, um, work's not going to go very well. If I'm not abiding in Jesus, I'm not going to bear fruit. Because when I bear fruit, it just it grows out of that point in my relationship with the vine, that point that is being at home with Jesus, abiding with Jesus, so that his life flows into me. Every now and then you meet somebody and they, they seem to be filled with a deep joy and peace. And you then get a clue that where that comes from in their lives is, is actually a, a relationship with Jesus. Um, we're surprised when some of, of the most compelling teachers and sort of gurus in the world turn out to be Jesus followers. And it ought not to be a surprise at all. Because if we follow Jesus, we will abide in him, we will live these lives of balance, and people will want to know how it is that we live successful or effective lives. And we go around and we listen to those who teach us, and many of them, you know, at the end of the day, you'll say, man, there's just something about what that guy or that lady said that makes me think they might be followers of Jesus. And it turns out many times that they are. Well, why is that? Because the things that make life work are the things that Jesus brings to us. And he says, you too can live a fruitful life if you abide in me. And again, the freedom of it is to say, and it isn't my job. My job is to hang out with Jesus. And if I do, his life will flow into me and through me. And I will bear fruit, not produce fruit. He'll do that, but I will bear the fruit. And at the end of the day, people will look at my life and say, what is that? What makes that life work? We need to rest, we need to abide, and here's the one we don't want to talk about, is that what the Father does when he sees that we're bearing fruit is he prunes us. And you might say, okay, I think I'm going to set the fruit-bearing thing aside. I'm not really interested in the pruning, because pruning hurts. But when we look at this picture of the vine and branches, do you know how much those leaves matter? I mean, they matter for something. They must provide shade from the sun or whatever. Um, but in terms of the value of the plant, the leaves don't count. And the extra branches don't count. Those little shoots, those little suckers, none of them count. So if you're the gardener, you're going to come through and say, man, there is good fruit growing on this vine. But these shoots... And these little suckers and these extra leaves, they're just taking energy away from fruit bearing, so let's just trim them off. And that hurts. The biggest mistake in my pastoral experience when people are being pruned is that they think they're being disciplined. And it takes the wisdom of Solomon to distinguish between being disciplined and being pruned. Disciplined means that God uses the circumstances of our lives or the circumstances around us to set us straight, to correct us. And when he's doing that, the right thing to do is to stop in our tracks and ask him, what is it that's not right that you're using this situation to fix in me? 
And listen carefully. When God doesn't answer you, he is answering you. Because that's not the right question. If you ask God, is there something in my life that's not right that you're trying to fix by this, and God doesn't answer you, know this, that the character of God would never be to hold out on you. He doesn't play hide and seek. He doesn't say, well, yes, I am disciplining you, but I'm not going to tell you why. I mean, what father or what mother would do that? If a child says, um, is the reason I, what was the reason I can't have treats anymore? Well, because this morning, remember, you talk back. Oh, yeah, okay. So that's why you're not having treats. Okay, fine. If the child comes and says, is there something wrong? Did I do something that you're mad at me? And the father says, no. Then the kid says, okay, good. So here's the deal. Every difficult circumstance is pruning. Every one. But not every difficult circumstance, by any stretch of the imagination, is discipline. So when there are hard things in your life, God does want to use them to prune you. I don't think he often comes along and decides what the pruning circumstance is going to be because there are plenty of them available to him. So he doesn't have to come and say, I think, I think I'll bring you a sickness to prune you. Life itself brings the sickness. But God says, if you will, I will use the sickness to prune you. I will use it to trim off those parts of your life that aren't necessary for good fruit to be produced. Is that okay? And when we yield to that, when we yield to the knife of the pruning, God is able to bring greater and greater abundance of fruit into our lives. Do we love the pruning? No, hardly ever. How many people will say to you, boy, I I hope I never have to go through that again. But I'm really appreciative of what God did while I was going through it. So the father comes to your life and he looks and he says, what I'm looking for here is fruit. What's the fruit? Well, it's just Jesus-like living and Jesus-like produce. All right? If there's none of that there, oh, that's a problem. So I should go back and say, is there enough rest going on in my life so I can be working and fruitful? Am I abiding in Jesus well enough so I can be fruitful? Am I yielding to the pruning of the gardener so that I can be even more fruitful? And then the last one, so here we have more fruit going on. The last one is that in our lives, and and Jesus showed this by his own life and with his disciples, is that part of the breathing in is retreat. And after retreat, and this is a happy part of the whole thing, is adventure. When we abide in Jesus, when we have the right rhythms in our lives, we're resting, we're being refreshed in that resting, we're letting the Father uh, shape us and, and, and prune us and trim us, um, then we also happily involve ourselves in, in rhythms of life that, that go away and just kind of quiet down for seasons, so that we can get ready for the swing of the pendulum all the way around to a highly fruitful adventure that God has for us. And some of you, I'm sure, would be able to say, you know, I think I've been in a time of retreat. It's been necessary for me to kind of slow down. It's been necessary for me to kind of pull out of some things because I was not working from rest. I was resting from work, so I think I got that sorted out. And when we go through those seasons, and sometimes they're long seasons, sometimes they're quite short seasons, but when we, when we have that kind of rhythm in our lives, it's like Jesus says, now, are you ready for an adventure? Because I have one for you. Are you rested up? Have you enjoyed walking with Jesus and knowing him and loving being with him? Have you let the Father prune off those things? Do I have an adventure for you? I believe something fervently, and that is that some of you have been in retreat, and when we go to 200 Main, there's an adventure for you. You knew this was coming, right? You've been sitting there long enough. There's an adventure ahead of you. And God has invested in you gifts and interests and passions and abilities, and you've sort of gotten them sharpened up as you have rested in Jesus, and now uh, Jesus is saying, 
let's go on an adventure. See, that's exactly what he was doing with the disciples. He was saying, I've been with you this whole time to teach you this part of the pendulum swing. And now I'm out of here, but you are in for an adventure, the like of which you couldn't imagine what we already said. The things I've done, you're going to do in greater things than those. You're not going to do them by yourself. You're going to wait for the Holy Spirit, but when the Holy Spirit comes, you guys, you guys are going to be my witnesses to the whole world. And they're going, yikes, wasn't it just yesterday we were fishing? And Jesus says, yeah, but you're ready now. You've been in the part of the swing that is the potential energy that's going to become the kinetic energy that rushes into you, through you, by my life in you, into an adventure that's going to change the world. So you're okay, I think, with me on the rest. You think, okay, some rest will be good abiding, I get that. Don't really want the pruning, but yikes, now you're talking to me, because I think, really, God is inviting me into a season of adventure. I've been sitting long enough. I've been drinking long enough, I've been eating long enough, I've been resting long enough, let's go. And what does God invite you to do? He invites you to do whatever is natural to you through the life of Jesus living in you and through you. It's whatever it is that is the Venn diagram, A, intersect B, that is your interests, your passions, your wired up, and Jesus' life in the middle of that is the adventure that he has for you, if you're up for it and you'd like to keep living this kind of life that ends up being described as fruitful living. Take a walk through a vineyard anytime you can, as soon as you can. It doesn't really matter whether it's peaches or oranges or grapes. It all works the same way. And you're in that vineyard. God wants to know where the fruit is. For some of us, he's saying, boy, I think you need to step it up a bit. For some, he's saying, I'm delighted in that fruit. If you don't mind, I'll make it even more. And for some, he's saying, boy, you don't know. You are so on the, just the, the cusp of an adventure that's going to change your life. But it'll change the kingdom and the world in the meantime. So why don't we pray? Father, we ask you to teach us the rhythm of life that produces fruit, that helps us naturally, supernaturally, bear the fruit of Jesus so that you'll be happy with what is being born and produced in us and that the world will be impacted in Jesus' name.
ago um, I was mentoring a group of students at U of T. They were at Trinity College in St. Holdens. They were the top academic students in, in that fine university. And I was pretty wet behind the ears at that point. And as we began to meet, I wanted to teach them this stuff. And I regularly got pushback from them that said, yeah, it's all well and good for you to say that you pastor you, but in the real world, here's what it looks like. And I challenged them as much as I knew it was true that if you live this way, God blesses your life. All I knew was that theoretically that was true. 20 years have come and gone. Um, young law students, I challenged them to not study on Sundays and to resist working ridiculous hours when they were articling as well as they could. Med students, the same. and. 
20 years later, I have now married most of them to one another. And I follow all of their paths, their trajectories. And God is making them, I think to a person, fruitful servants of his and his kingdom and in their vocations. But it was tough at the start because they would say, yeah, that's easy for you to say. And it was not easy for them to do, but making those commitments has changed their world. And I rejoice in who they have become and what they have become. And I'm glad I got it right. And they're the proof in that pudding. So if you're looking back at me today and say, yeah, right, must be easy for you to say those things. In a way it is. But it's the truth of God's word. It's what Jesus said. And if he said it and we can do it, it must work. So I just commit that to you and challenge you to make the right decisions, get the rhythms right in your life, and God will bless you for it. Go and be fruitful.